Welcome to the Something About Science podcast. My name is Megan from Azo Nano, and I'm joined by Skylar from Azon and Danielle from News Medical. Today we're going to be talking about the science of happiness in an interview I recently did with Professor Bruce Hood, who is the Professor of Development Psychology and Society at the University of Bristol. Also, we'll be discussing the gut-brain axis and how our gut microbiota can impact our psychological well-being, as well as man-made shooting stars. This episode, I wanted to highlight a particular study that was covered on our medical website, News Medical, that links to the interactions between our gut and our neurological health. So personally, I find the influence that our gut has on our overall health fascinating, whether it's to do with how our gut health affects our mood, the complexities of the microbiome that exists within it, or now the link between the digestive system and neurological and psychiatric disorders. I just can't seem to get enough. Oh my god. <laughs> I was thinking for ages about like what food related poem can I put in here? And that, that was, was so bad. I know. <laughs> or was it so good? Hmm. Or was no. it so or was it so good? I think we should just stop it here. <laughs> So bringing it back to this research in particular, which was published in Frontiers in Medicine. So this team of researchers from the University of Agricultural Sciences and Veterinary Medicine of Cluj-Napoca in Romania compiled a review of the link between the gut microbiota and neurological and psychiatric disorders. So some of the conditions that the team focused on included major depressive disorders, anxiety and bipolar disorder. And one of the main points that the team made that I kind of wanted to like highlight is that they made the point that there should be more consideration towards the gut microbiome in both the diagnosis and the treatment of these disorders. So this paper was a review. It was kind of compiling all different research in, in this space. So for example, they talked about how there was this piece of research that showed that antidepressant medications actually contain antimicrobial properties that can damage the gut microbiota. They can damage like three different strains. And I just thought that this particular note in this particular topic was just kind of quite interesting to highlight and that the broader topic of gut health and neurological health is not often, I mean, I feel like it's had a lot of attention recently, but I feel like when we think about like the food we eat, there's this kind of like long-standing conversation about what we eat is so heavily linked to our physical health and like how we look and like whether it's the weight that we have or the impact it has on our organs that we don't actually think about what we're putting into our digestive system and like what the consequences of that is and you know there's so much evidence that supports this idea that like the gut is one of the most influential components of a healthy brain and a healthy central nervous system which can, you know, be anywhere from the mood to our mental health and our memory. And I just wanted to bring it to the table today because, you know, I find it really interesting. And I thought with, I know Danielle's going to talk a little bit later about it, about um, her coverage of World Happiness Day, that it's just something that, you know, when we consider our happiness and like our mental well-being, it's just this one other thing that I think should have a little bit more attention as well. Yeah, definitely. And thank you for bringing it to the table. I feel like there's a pun in there somewhere <laughs> as well. But I think it's fascinating, the, the study that you mentioned that looked into uh, antidepressants and the effect that that has on the uh, gut microbiota. And it actually sort of like harks back to our previous episode 
the where we did antimicrobial resistance and looked a little bit about that and how we know that antimicrobials and antibiotics have a huge impact on the gut microbiome and can deplenish communities of bacteria in our gut, which has implications on our health. And it's fascinating to contemplate that, well, you know, other medications have have an impact such as that. And it makes perfect sense that that would be the case. Yeah, it's such an important thing to have a scoping review of the current state of research so we can get an overview of what where we are in understanding the relationship between the gut and the brain and the gut-brain axis, especially considering that outside of the brain, the gut has the largest concentration of neurons. Even like small things, or well, I guess not small things, but more obvious things like the food you eat and the amount of energy it gives you and how that makes you feel during the day. It's just things like that that are so obvious to us that maybe doesn't get the attention that it should when we're thinking about how we move through the day and what how we feel ourselves. No, definitely. I think, you know, food is like one of the most personal things that we have, like one of our most like personal relationships with with life. And I think, you know, for something that is so personal, something that we do think about a lot, it just seems like silly that we don't also think about what it's what the kind of like impact of what we eat is on every single aspect of our our body like it's just something you know that I think it's just silly to me not only what we eat but sort of opening that up into what we consume so for example uh, probiotics and prebiotics and I think there's been a lot of research at the moment about the uh, potential of, of probiotics and prebiotics to be therapeutic so it's interesting to to think of it that way as well and not just the food items that we consume but also the supplements as well especially in a world where the wellness industry is becoming like bigger and more prevalent and people are being told certain things that they should be consuming um it's important to understand the science behind behind those things and the science behind probiotics and prebiotics especially since i mean i think you touched on it megan but so much of the discussions around what we put into our body just focuses on weight loss or weight gain but it's a lot to do with kind of image and there's a whole industry focused on image and I think maybe it can sometimes put people off from uh, I don't know like considering diets because diets are always associated with this idea of weight loss but the idea that there's like scientific reasons why changing your diet is good for you beyond that is something really important and I think maybe something that people don't really engage with as much. Yeah because I think sometimes as well like a similar narrative is that a lot of this advice is like just a food trend or it's just a food fad and that it's just something like other celebrities do or you know it'll just like phase in and out with fashion but the point that Danielle's making about increasing like the conversation around it and especially like increasing the conversation around the scientific evidence is something that this should be like a really big push for, especially to kind of like eliminate the like the topics that you've kind of talked about there, Skylar. Well, so um, not not as scientific, but <laughs> have you seen those TikToks about what you eat and how it can alleviate PCOS symptoms? Yeah, so like there's, it's, it's like reducing caffeine is one of them, and like the other ones. But you continue. <laughs> no, I, I don't know much more than you do. I just um, they always um kind of come up on my page. Clearly, I have an interest in it. <laughs> But I just thought it was interesting that all of these people kind of changing the way that they cook and the way that they mm. eat and the way that it's kind of improved their lives and like their symptoms with something that is can be very unmanageable. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The interesting thing is, is that we're having all these discussions about what we eat and the impact it has on our mood. But there's a certain part of food and the ritual of food that 
brings you an enormous sense of happiness. It's that classic thing of a balance, so a balance between the foods that actively and scientifically improve your nutrition and your mental health, but also the foods that you gain some sort of like enjoyment from and whether they be like the less nutritionally dense foods, it's still important to have a bit of both for your overall well-being and it's just a balance. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's something that, you know, the kind of diets and the fads miss out on as well. Completely agree. So I want to talk about Mame's Shooting Stars. There was a press release that went out from... I think it's ALE. I'm not sure if it's AL because it's not really being said out loud anywhere. So I'm going to go for ALE, but apologies to AL if it's wrong. So ALE is a startup and they released a press release on March 30th, 2023, that they've created man-made shooting stars as part of their Sky Canvas project. And we managed to publish an interview with them on azoquantum.com last Thursday with the release. And I interviewed their founder and CEO for the announcement. And I thought that the story was very out of this world. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So in terms of how natural shooting stars work first, for a gross oversimplification, they effectively give out light because of the aerodynamic heating of small dust particles when they travel through the Earth's atmosphere at very high speed. And that's what we see when they go past. So ALE have recreated this by releasing particles that become shooting stars from its satellites. So first they put meteor replicating particles into their satellites and send them up. Then by controlling the position, speed and timing of the meteor particles, the human-made shooting stars emit light in the sky at a designated location anywhere they want it in the world, depending on where the satellite is positioned. They also travel slower and glow brighter, supposedly, than natural shooting stars. In terms of the purpose of this, it seems to be a kind of a dual thing. So there seems to be two purposes of these man-made shooting stars. On the one hand, it's going to help them collect better atmospheric data, in particular from the mesosphere, which in the past has been challenging with conventional technologies. And this kind of data is useful for things like monitoring climate change. But on the other side of things, they want to develop, quote, a space entertainment industry, which sounds just incredibly dystopian. But I think they just mean that it's going to be really cool to see the shooting stars whenever we want them. In the press release, they've got all these photos of the man-made shooting stars above different landmarks marks across the world. So I think that's what they mean by that, but stay posted, I guess. But they also have a Sky Canvas community hub where people can engage with the project and its research for kind of space fanatics or just anyone who's interested. And... Their website says that the particles are only released when they have confirmed there are no obstacles in the path. And I thought this was interesting because that seems tricky to me with the amount of space debris, but clearly they've thought about that. And supposedly they will also not hit the ground because they will be disappearing completely due to heat and air resistance, which I thought was important to stress as well, because that was my first thought when I saw man-made shooting stars. Do we know like where... Oh, in the, is it the mesosphere, did you say? That's where they're going to be collecting the most amount of data from. Okay, so they're going to go through the mesosphere. So they're going to be just like, the satellites are going to be in space. The satellites are in space. Yeah. And then they release the shooting stars. Yeah, and they act like natural shooting stars, like natural meteors. They kind of move through the atmosphere and kind of shine like normal ones, but better, supposedly. 
It's good to know that this dystopian space sort of theme has continued throughout our episodes and we seem to have another movie plot um, (laughs) with the space entertainment industry. Yeah. Oh God, yeah. Well, this is just an excuse to get the jingle. Yeah, (laughs) I think it might be. It's so fascinating and it's amazing what some scientists and innovators think of. Like I would never even comprehend that this could possibly be a thing that's entertainment let alone that it could collect data on things like climate change like that's it's really incredible and very innovative of of these people yeah Yeah. hopefully hopefully i think like my just to be the devil's advocate my kind of no concerns suppose but at what point where's the line drawn between like entertainment and like scientific research do you know what i mean like oh can those things coexist yeah but then i suppose like there's a problem of like does it remain neutral if that makes sense like if the entertainment demand increases like yeah will that like outcompete I don't know I don't know how this would work but like the ability to collect data or like because imagine like you're releasing so many at once and you want to collect data on that it's like is there going to be a certain level of consistency that you can maintain if like the demand is like really high I don't know if there's like an economic demand on the entertainment side of things, would that negate the science part of it? I yeah. do feel like, because they're, they're a startup company that, to me, it feels like the entertainment, space entertainment angle is perhaps greater to them than the research. But it just happens to be that there's like a research bonus to it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I, again, I could be wrong because we've not, I mean, it was announced last week. We don't yeah, have that much enough, information yeah. on it yet, but... The next Sky Canvas satellite mission is going to take place in 2024 next year. And then the next, well, the first commercial service is going to take place in 2025. So theoretically, the first man-made shooting stars will hopefully be seen in 2025. Did they say where they're based or whether they have like any like, you know, like space funding, like space organizational, like funding or that sort of thing? So I believe they're in Tokyo and I also think it's, partially funded by the University of Tokyo. Okay, that's but cool. we'd need Amy to fact check that. Real-time fact check. Just a real-time fact check about shooting stars. So the AOKO, when they did their shooting stars, it was actually funded by the University of Tohoku and the CEO, Reina Okajima, actually has a PhD from the University of Tokyo. And this is why we have a producer with a degree in Japanese studies. Something about science and also something about Japanese studies. <laughs> It is quite cool though. It'd be quite interesting to see like, you know, when they say like, oh, it'll be better. Like, is yeah. it going to be brighter? Is it going to just like shine? To be fair, I've never seen a shooting star and thought, mm, that was a bit disappointing. But <laughs> This might be completely wrong, but would there be an issue with like light pollution with this? It, probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, they glow brighter than the average shooting star, so maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> My main thing is the space debris thing, the the path of trajectory. Because, what, like, they'll hit something on the way down? Yeah, just because there's so much going on up there. They've said that they'll only release it if they can confirm that there's a clear trajectory. And I just wonder how frequently is that going to happen? If it's trajectory, do they have, will they be mapping the trajectory of, like, the mummy shooting star? Yeah. Like, ahead of time, like, ahead before time. it's released. Like they do with like a rocket launch. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It'll be cool though. I feel like me. I'm sounding really skeptical. I, it genuinely makes me really happy as an idea. I like it. No, I just, it, is cool. it seems so 
bizarre that like it's difficult to imagine how it will unfold we'll only know like when when it happens and that sort of thing but it's like the point danielle was making about like innovation like you never would have thought about you know doing this it does seem like very dystopian but i feel like there's almost like there is that kind of interesting novelty to like some dystopian things so it's like oh that's scary but at the same time that's really cool <laughs> i wonder if they can make them different colors do you know what i was thinking that would be quite nice <laughs> i'm imagining like the new year's firework display <laughs> just, just like... also has some <laughs> this is like the next level stars. up yeah, they're doing drones at the moment and going crazy oh, yeah, with like firework are, drones they? and yeah. then this is the next, next i don't step. like the drones i think they're boring do you know what i like and this is not a drone thing <laughs> It sounds so stupid. Have you seen it? You know when like people put lights on sheep and then they like... <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. You know when they herd the sheep and then like they... <laughs> you see it from above and then like the sheep will all do like different... I haven't seen this but I wish I had. This? this is a real thing, isn't it? Amy. Fact check. <laughs> yeah, it is a real thing. I thought it was. Yeah. Yeah, so you put like lights on your sheep and it's like on the field and then you get them like they're all herded. Extreme LED sheep art. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a technical term. Can we can we get an article made on that please? <laughs> I like that. That's See everyone's smiling. I knew that this would world happiness though. There we go. Well, I'll go on to World Happiness Day. So what makes us happy? Evidently from what we've heard so far, it's man-made shooting stars um, for Skylar. But the science of happiness is often intangible and complicated and we can find ourselves personally fighting with these questions ourselves. But on March 20th, it was actually the International Day of Happiness and the sort of intersection between happiness and science really interested me and it reminded me of a course I heard of while I was at uni called the science of happiness that was conducted by the University of Bristol and the leader of this course is a professor Bruce Hood who's the professor of developmental psychology and society at the University of Bristol so I caught back up with him and interviewed him for World Happiness Day and it was a great opportunity to learn more about the course that I was first introduced to while I was at uni and it's a really unique course because it actually is the only course that gives credit to students so academic credits but doesn't actually have any coursework or examinations and it's purely beneficial for the students themselves and it's open to first year students which I think I discussed this with Bruce is really significant because that transition from sort of like college or school to university is a really big step and it's a stage in life when many mental health issues can occur and we also spoke about the current student mental health crisis which particularly in the UK is is in quite a dire state so Bruce is doing really important work to address this um, current crisis so those were the things we spoke about during the interview and we also spoke about uh, what actually goes on in our brains when we're thinking about what happiness is and also how growing up affects happiness and this is a particular interest of Bruce's and and something that he researches quite a lot about how uh, human development impacts happiness. It's very anthropological. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like big big questions. Very big questions. (laughs) (laughs) Well what's important and what Bruce actually mentions is that the findings of his study and the findings that he publishes from the work that's done in the course he's actually not saying anything new 
But the thing that is coming up time and time again is that you can read as many self-help books as you like and you can watch as many TED Talks as you like, but you have to actually engage with the activities such as mindfulness um, for it to actually make a difference. But the actual like findings that the course is providing in terms of what people need to do to make themselves feel a little bit happier, they're not new, yeah, they're not groundbreaking, but it's that consistency and it's that engagement that actually makes a difference. Did you guys talk about the relationship between like social media and happiness and especially students? I think it was mentioned briefly. Bruce by no means thinks that people should not use social media, but it's the way we engage with social media yeah. that's that's the important thing. But it was definitely something that was discussed. But like interestingly, I think phones and apps are used quite a lot in like tracking. So like apps that People can track their mood and track their daily habits are actually really useful for like maintaining those like happy habits. So it's interesting to see how like the interface of a phone can be used both negatively and positively when it comes to mental health negative, you know, social media and maybe engaging in social media in an unhealthy way. But positive, you know, it gives you that sort of like diary to write down how you're feeling and track your mood and understand how your moods change over a period of time. So it's like anything is like positives and negatives. Balance you talked about earlier. I know it's all balance. To hear the full conversation with Professor Bruce Hood, Tune in to the next episode of Something About Science, which will be coming in the next few weeks. I really like this kind of like movement in social media about like curating your own social media, is that kind of defying the algorithm in a way. And I'm a big believer in that social media should be there to kind of like complement your life, not rule it. Unfortunately, I think like we have come to a bit of like a state in society well, obviously this is a very westernized view where that often is the case where like we are ruled by social media, whether it's like what we do, what we consume, like how we believe. And, you know, I think kind of on this topic of happiness, like it it really does impact it. And it's like, it's really sad that it impacts it so much. But I think it's quite important for people to kind of understand where their happiness comes from and like what makes them happy and like not put a lot of pressure on it, of course, but be open to like that introspection in a way and so that understanding like okay well what positively affects my well-being what negatively affects it and then make changes to say like your social media consumption or just your day-to-day life to help that I quite enjoy that kind of movement in in social media and people using it it definitely is a movement and that movement expands sort of like further into the general population's interest in the science of happiness and what people can actually do to make themselves sort of feel better and sort of positive psychology. The course that Bruce runs, Science of Happiness, was actually created in collaboration with a previous student of his, Dr. Laurie Santos, who runs the most popular course in Yale's history, in like Yale's 300-year history. Uh, Her course, I think it's also called The Science of Happiness or The Good Life. I might need a fact check on that, Amy, just what the title of that is. Real-time fact check. So to fact check, it is called The Science of Wellbeing by Dr. Laurie Santos. The Science of Wellbeing, yes. But she actually co-created The Science of Happiness with Bruce as a former student of his. And she's gone on to achieve amazing success with her work in The Science of Happiness as exemplified by the popularity of the course. And it's amazing to see the sort of zeitgeist change into people being really personally interested in what they can do personally to help improve their happiness.
I like the emphasis on like personal there, like rather than like just kind of going on following like trends, it's like following your own path and like finding you discovering like your own kind of like way of life. It's quite I like that. I feel like things move so fast now. Like mm. I don't know. I was thinking about this recently, how I think growing up when I think I was on my phone less and I was generally less busy, I was a lot more self-reflective. Mm -hmm. I was a lot more in touch with how I felt either positively or negatively and why that might be. Whereas now I feel like uh, part of it's just adulthood, you know, having having to work and do other things and having more commitments. But I think like we were saying before, the increased use of just being on your phone and that kind of stuff. I think when I'm feeling a certain way, rather than sitting myself and kind of reflecting personally, I'll kind of maybe Google something or just go on my phone or rely on other people and other channels to kind of tell me how and why I'm feeling this way. Whereas, and I feel like my, because I think it is a skill being able to self-reflect and self-identify what's kind of going on in your head. And I feel like it's definitely a skill that you need to practice actively. And I think maybe phones and social media, for me at least, um, maybe other people have different distractions. I think that's kind of detracted from the time I spend practicing that skill. So yeah, that idea of using your phone or other channels in a very personal way to self-reflect is, is an interesting one. Yeah, exactly. And like what you said about having to be consistent with it and practice it and stuff, it almost is like a muscle. It's like muscle memory. And the study found, so the Science of Happiness course, uh, the findings found that those who took part in the Science of Happiness course and then went away from it and sort of stopped the daily habits but then came back to it, found it easier to come back to it once he'd already established those patterns of behaviour. I think the broader topic of like micro habits is like quite an important thing for like people to, I suppose, like understand and that, you know, you don't have to make big changes like automatically, like it can literally just be the buildup of like little things like over and over again it can have like almost like a bigger impact than say like one big massive effort. And I think it's a lot easier for people, especially like with what Skylar was saying is that it can be quite difficult to either find that time, whether because it exists or because you've just got so much going on. If you make like small changes here and there, over time, it just becomes like second nature to be able to kind of accept those changes or refer back to them when, you know, the time. More sustainable as well. Yeah, it's more sustainable. And I think with this kind of increased interest in like, how do we find happiness and how do we sustain happiness? That topic of like little changes or finding that time here and there can be quite beneficial to people in that integrating it and it's more realistic and sustainable for them to integrate it into their their daily lives and their daily routine. I was going to ask what is something that you guys have found that is making you happy recently like a habit or maybe something that you've you've picked up or come back to talking about it earlier but it's my daily cup of tea (laughs) (laughs) two two pieces of chocolate chocolate. it's the best part of my day and it's the last part of my day so like I purpose (laughs) this is because I'm really bad I purposely make it like the last part of my day so I like I'm like come on you can keep going like you can get through the day like look forward to that thing and it's like a really simple pleasure but yeah that's the thing that makes me happy it's really nice 
I'm jumping back a little bit here, but I think it's important to consider what Megan was talking about with the piece of content she brought to the table earlier about the effect antidepressants can have on the gut microbiome. And it's great to hear that, you know, there are these non-pharmaceutical interventions that people can make in their lives to help impact their happiness. Of course, antidepressants are completely necessary in certain circumstances, but I do believe for particularly the student um, population, you know, when they're experiencing huge amounts of stress with deadlines, that these non-pharmaceutical interventions can be hugely beneficial. No, definitely. And I think we were kind of talking about this, I think it was yesterday or a a previous day, Danielle, where about how it's almost like we're going full circle. It's like we're finding kind of like natural remedies to things. And then we moved away from them over time and went to more kind of inorganic remedies. And now we're returning back to these kind of organic remedies. And it's just quite interesting. I think sometimes as well, it's people are almost more receptive to it because you know, whether it's food, something that they already have a relationship with and they find it easy to substitute or, you know, for whatever personal reasons they have. Sometimes it's not nice, but sometimes it's, I don't know how to describe it, but taking the clinical aspect out of treatment can be ironically an easier pill to swallow. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, less scary for people. And I think especially when, say, they're doing coming to terms with something or realizing okay I'm not in a great state I want to make changes being able to kind of do it in this kind of less clinical or easier way say for example with food might help them kind of like come to terms with it or just make those like tiny changes I as think well. it could be a control thing obviously with a pharmaceutical you are giving all of your like power over to the doctor and you're putting a lot of trust in another individual and you know a group of individuals whereas these sorts of interventions whether it be diet or mindfulness you can sort of control how much and to what extent you do them and I think that can be quite empowering to a lot of people. I guess like I think the most effective thing would maybe be taking both hand in hand I think it's important not to diminish just how life-changing medications can be to people, especially with who might suffer from mental health issues. Sometimes taking medicine can be the most empowering thing because it gives you your life back. But I do understand what you're saying as well about having things that are more directly under your control. So I think maybe the best thing is for people on medication is just looking at how they can also implement these things alongside it and kind of taking that balanced approach. It's knowing your options, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's like knowledge is power at the end of the day and like knowing what is out there for you and the options that you have. You know, you can take more autonomy over your own own health and come back to that kind of like theme of balance. It's all about finding a balance about what works best for you and your personal, you know, your personal health and your personal journey. Yeah, and I think going back to what Bruce talks about and what he focuses on with student mental health, I think that availability of option is really important because I think a lot of students can feel there aren't a lot of options I'm sure uh, as we were all recently students ourselves I'm sure we know of people who you know went through a hard time at uni mentally and with their mental health and felt there weren't a lot of options and it's been well publicized in the press that that's a particular issue in the UK Um, so any courses like Bruce's are really beneficial because they're offering another opportunity for people to learn more about what their own personal happiness is. I guess it also, um, you know, it's something that can be an immediate thing that you can implement whilst, for example, you're waiting to hopefully get a GP appointment or, you know, access therapy or counselling. Like you said, I don't think it's controversial to say that it's 
incredibly difficult in the UK at the moment to get support unless you're on private healthcare. And if we're focusing on a student population, the chances of them being on private healthcare are, are quite slim. So I guess going back to what you're saying about empowerment, as fantastic as medication can be, if you're waiting and feeling a bit powerless because there's nothing you can do about it immediately and you're waiting on the healthcare system to kind of be there for you, looking at other things like I guess what Bruce will talk about can be something of a saving grace and that you know there's something you can do right now to try and try to try and make things better. And one thing that Bruce highlights and that I found particularly interesting was the fact that this is a course that you take at university alongside your other modules and making your happiness as important as your studies is quite revolutionary because I think a lot of students and the reason potentially why, well, not the reason, but one of the contributing factors into why we're currently in a bit of a mental health crisis with the student population is because there is this pressure that your studies become before anything else, even your happiness. And actually having a course that is as important as your more academic or the actual course, the actual modules on your course is quite amazing. And Bruce stands for and advocates for other things being made, um, modules that you can take at university, such, such as financial literacy, which I think is really amazing. And he sort of wants to redefine what education is and what it means for us, whether it's just the things that contribute to our degree, whether you're studying maths, so all the modules take on mathematic modules, or whether, you know, you come out of university as a well-rounded human being who's equipped with life skills that will enable you to go through life happy and well-versed in skills that you need to live a happy life. I would love to know how to be happy and manage my finances. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Top two things that would improve my life. I'm joking. I just think it's funny though, isn't it? How like, you know, you often hear this conversation about, oh, like, you know, people, young people don't know how to do this. Young people don't know how to do that. Or, oh, there should be like financial stuff on financial literacy. And it's like, yes, there should why don't we make an effort to actually like change that and you know make a difference in that yeah it's so comforting to know that there are advocates such as Bruce who hold a high position at a really prominent university who are fighting for that cause and understand the student population our company um, is a network they did a financial literacy session with us about a year ago and my tiny mind was blown <laughs> I actually felt close to tears I was so stressed I was like I don't know what these words are he is saying um which he obviously then went on to explain. But I was like, I can't believe this is the first time I'm hearing about any of this stuff. He'd be saying like, oh yeah, so you probably all have been thinking about this already. And I'm like, no, no, should I have? I, I don't know. Yeah. I, like, I went home and I rang my dad and I said, I think I need to learn things. <laughs> no, things. If it makes you feel any better for Skylar, I went to that session too and I left with a list of things I needed to do. I have done none of them. Yeah, same. <laughs> I, I was going to, invest, to do things I was going to get a credit card. I have done none of these things. <laughs> going back to before, because we never actually finished it. Megan, what was your thing that's making you happy at the moment? Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm kind of glad you went away from it because, like, my brain just went blank. I was like, ironically, I was like, what is making me happy right now? I can go next if you want more time. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I've been really into felting recently. Oh, love that. What's that? So it's where <laughs> you just have this kind of not felt like felt sheets but kind of I don't know how to describe it it's almost they're like, like cloud they're like fiber felt fibers you know when you kind of like 
felt is like compressed uh, fibers. Imagine you're pulling apart a cotton yeah. wool ball, and it's kind of. I really don't. I really don't like cotton wool. Well, you wouldn't maybe like this. <laughs> it's softer than cotton wool, so it doesn't have that crunchiness that cotton yeah, wool does. Yeah. Sorry, I'll stop talking about it. <laughs> but you basically get a needle and you just stab it loads and loads of times, and you kind of stab it into a shape, and then it just takes on like. A form, and I've been making loads of little animals in jackets. That's with adorable. Scarves. I love oh, it. Is this like the frogs? Have you seen the frogs? I, I no. Oh, I'll send you the felt Thanks. frogs. There's like videos of them on Instagram. Oh, yes, and they yeah, wear little yeah, jackets. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah, like that. Okay, okay. Um, and yeah, and I've been doing some painting and some polymer clay crafting, and I've just been on a real craft. I love kit, it, and it just makes my brain go quiet, and I love it. It's really fun. That's my happiness at the moment. I, I'm trying to think what makes me happy. I feel like I've been I've been trying to go for more walks recently. I mean, quite enjoy that. I find sometimes like it's easier for me not to make like a conscious effort of like I'm having downtime. It's just that if I have downtime, like if it naturally occurs, like when you talk about your mind going quiet, like for me, that's like cooking, like making my dinner, like I can do it in complete silence and it's the only activity that I can do in silence. Otherwise I need like music or else I go insane. But like, I don't know what it is. My brain just completely switches off and like, it's nice to just like not think. And to, I feel, I feel like it's because it's so methodical and like you're using your hands and that probably similar to like Scala, like you're you in like your crafting it's just you're just doing like something and you're not thinking about it you're just kind of letting like your body guide you in a way I feel like that's been making me happy and then going on walks luckily the weather although we've had two days of sunshine here in Manchester it will not last unfortunately going for like nice long walks it's just been like nice recently putting on an audio book that's been making me happy so what we've discovered is that we're all going to be our happiest in our retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could do old lady activities like felt and drink tea and go on walks. Do you know what? I really think it though. I think sometimes like, like my friends always used to call me an old, I don't know why old man and not old woman, but anyway, like an old man when I was younger, because like, I just enjoy like this, these like retirement activities or just, I feel like I romanticize this idea of like living in a cabin in like the middle of nowhere and just having like chickens or like alpacas and just like having a very simple life. I don't know, I feel like it's the quiet of it. I can just like, I obviously very romanticized, but I just, I don't know. I just really like the idea of it. I wish I could just craft all day. Yeah. Phoebe, my girlfriend, makes fun of me all the time for it. She's like, oh, are you going to do small felting? I'm like, yes, I am. Just and like, I'm yes, going to love it. <laughs> if you enjoyed listening, please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider, sharing this episode on social media, or with friends, family, and colleagues you think might enjoy it as well. This episode was brought to you by Azo Network. We'll be back soon with more discussions about science.